coffee drinkers This was a little bit of an experiment. These are the first notes of the day. You guys maybe know by now that I like to try and do that. Try and hit the record button on the podcast and get the first notes of the day in for you guys recorded. And really, it gives me a chance after the fact to really put them under the microscope and see what was going on there. And um, see kind of how dialed in I could be with the practice routine and, and where I need to go and how quickly I can make that decision as well. You know, figure out what it is that needs the work and uh, do I need to slow things down? Am I comfortable where I am? That was really the exercise there. I was like, okay, I put a, put a loop in, which you heard me doing right in the beginning, this thing. Pretty simple, D minor, down to B flat major seven. Shit, I don't know why I'm telling you to change this to this. That is not helpful to you like you really should just be able to listen to this and pick it out you know even just if you're trying to find the first chord even just by putting your your, your uh, a finger on a string on the bass and even doing that you know if you if you really can't hear that it's d which is totally fine if your ears not dialed in and you can't just like immediately go and grab okay that's d minor literally just listening and figuring out that that's that that's that first note um what was it vic was doing i was at victor wooten's bass camp earlier on this year it was a lot of fun and um i, I was there to kind of give a clinic and and do some talking hey charlotte <laughs> thank you thank you for that contribution to today's podcast um I, I was there to do a clinic and and to to hang out and work with the students a little bit but 
what was really fun for me was getting to sit in on a couple of Victor's classes and kind of shadow him a little bit over the couple of days I was there just to see, to take a look at his process and him and Steve Bailey together and like how kind of successful they were getting a group, getting a whole room full of bass players, you know, 15, 20, maybe 25 bass players in a room of very different uh, levels. You know, some people who were complete beginners and some people who could basically hear anything you played and play it right back to you. So a real huge... Uh, age range and ability range uh, but they were able to come up with things and, and get people doing things together which was great number one um, they, they got people interested and, and excited about what they were doing and there were a lot of things that even the, the good players and some of them even professional players weren't that proficient at so it was awesome it kind of got everyone dialed in and everyone kind of tapped into reality and uh, maybe even humbled a little bit by the seeming simplicity of the exercise, but actually, can can we all do it? So one of the things they were doing was um, not only finding a right note and finding, uh, you know, be, being able to go roughly in the neighborhood of where that note is on the neck, but also being able to do it in time. So uh, as opposed to the thing I just said, where you can put <laughs> any note down on the... On the on the fingerboard and slide up and down until you find the note. Vic was really about doing that in time. So um, this this first chord is D minor. It doesn't go on really that long. Hang on, what do I have in here? Oh, I still have that one in there. Also in D, but D major. Uh, but basically the thing was... The, the idea was to was to do it in time, was to make sure you're finding the note in time. So rather than just sliding around aimlessly, at least, you know, I talk about time and sound over everything. At least if you're conscious, if you don't have the right note and the production of that sound is, is not exactly the correct one right away, at least you can be doing whatever it is you're doing in time and with the music. I think that was the overall concept that Vic was trying to get across was that don't ever lose the groove. And um, I thought it was really interesting. There were definitely moments in there where it was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, can't find that note right away. Um, but what I am doing is in time. And the more people did the exercise, the more they the, the more they became aware of where certain notes were on the instrument, which range, you know, like Vic would play a note all the way up here. And if somebody was diving, uh, like... If somebody's initial reaction was to go down there and look for that note, we were trying. To, he was trying to recalibrate everyone's ear to make sure that they were at least recognizing that that's a, a fairly high note in the grand scheme of things with the range of a of a bass. And things down here in the lower end of the instrument are relatively low notes. So to try and dial into each part of the range. So we got to talking about this because I don't want to just hey this is this chord that chord and the other chord when I play something you should really try and challenge yourself and listen to what these chords are so I'm going to just play the loop I will tell you that there are only five chords I'm going to play the loop a few times round just to give you a completely uninterrupted uh, set of chords to just jam along to right now and see if you can pick out the loop let's say I'm going to play the loop four times and let's try and aim at the very worst to have it by the fourth time 
and let's see how much you can improve that or, or, or set yourself a goal of like, okay, I'll listen to it once and I should have it by the second time. And if not, then the third time. And if not that, then the fourth time. But give yourself like a goal of when you're going to uh, aim to, to have heard these chords and to have them under your fingers. So here we go. Four times through the loop. See how you do. four times i hope that was i think it was four times um I'm all, i've also got my my whatsapp open here hang on charlotte charlotte please stop destroying the couch hey <laughs> thank you sorry <laughs> you gotta keep the zoo under control here i've also got my whatsapp window open in my group chat with a couple of buddies and that was that bling bling or whatever that noise is you heard uh coming in there i did ask them because they are Musicians of an extremely high level who shall remain nameless depending on what <laughs> questions they ask right now. But I just said, hey, you guys got any questions or bootleg suggestions for me to play in today's podcast? So maybe we will get to that at some point as well. Um, but how did you do with picking out those chords? You know, Did you find you were kind of dialing in the range of where they were, where the bass line was if you're a bass player? Um, did you figure them out in the first you know, in the first pass and then be able to play melodically over the top of them? Uh, or, or how did you do? Um, okay, I'm telling them no. Okay, so they've got some suggestions already. This is good. We might get to that later in the podcast. But yeah, so that's my, that's the beginning of my, my, my practice today. Now at the beginning of the podcast, you may notice I ended up I played some linear ideas, but then I went into some trying to develop a couple of rhythmic ideas. I definitely felt my fingers were cold, that I couldn't just play endless lines. And, uh, and, and, and then it was way, way more productive, way better in terms of warming up my fingers to play a, a kind of a rhythmic, you know, a rhythmic idea rather than just trying to blast through linear ideas when I, I wasn't executing very well. And by developing a rhythmic idea, I mean something like this, where I'm taking a motif and moving it through the changes. Um, just playing three over two or three over four whatever just all that it's actually a really good exercise 
because the rhythm stays the same all the way through, but then you have to adjust harmonically and melodically speaking to, to match the changes. definitely feeling that that's a lot of repetition there in terms of the rhythm and my initial reaction is to get away from that once it kind of feels a little bit old but then it's also a challenge to develop melodically and to be able to create tension and to release that tension but still stick with the with the rhythmic idea already scuffing up there but it did feel really good to release that um and like after all of that kind of tension and then starting to play out with the harmony a little bit but keep the keep the rhythmic idea when i did finally go to the eighth notes and to breaking it up and getting away from that it did actually feel really good so those are the things as i as i say quite often on the podcast that i'm thinking about is is change and repetition and the balance between the two and um you know finding out when when i feel repetition is too much and and getting getting into some change and then go yeah jumping back and forth and working on each thing as well i don't have to be making a performance every time i'm practicing although of course i'm trying to be musical i'm trying to be melodic and i'm trying to find ideas that will stand up on their own as melodies um when i'm working on stuff um you know it, it's not a bad thing to really accentuate the repetition thing to really get that inside um wow okay so we're getting some, <laughs> we're getting some good questions from my buddies here on uh, on whatsapp um well so i should tell you who these guys are so this is gabriel santiago and justin vasquez um and out of all the group chats i have this is by far by far my favorite one um gabe says yeah actually that's a really good one there's talking that's really appropriate today you know talking about this and i wonder if it's still online he suggested that i play this thing um i think it might have got taken down off of youtube but let's take a quick look for it um because it's a really good example um of 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 a warm-up oh no 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 i thought i saw it for a second mm, perhaps this is it let's find out shall we to me as an improviser and also that's loud so i couldn't find any else so that, that 
and you might recognize that is Pat Metheny talking. But this is a really shaky video from, I don't know when this is from, it looks kind of old, maybe 90s, is it 90s? Could be late 90s of Pat. And it's, it's Pat warming up. He said, I need to warm up. Let me pause this for just a second. You can go and look for this on YouTube. Watch the entire thing. I won't play the entire thing because it's seven and a half minutes long, but it's called Pat Metheny Seminario. So I'm guessing, I think this is in Italy from what I heard of the translation going on there. Seminario, I mean, I, I, seminar, clinic, whatever. It looks like he's at some kind of music school um, given a clinic, but this is like, oh, wow. Charlotte, what's up? See, it's kind of, you never know with Charlotte. It's like she has food, she has water, life is good, she has a couch to destroy. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to try and ignore her. But yeah, the, the, the Matheny thing here where he's warming up now, I have a funny story to tell about that. I was about 12 years ago or maybe more, 12 to some, a long time ago, mid 2000s something like that i was working on a radio show with my good friend richard niles for the bbc um actually two radio shows one was a like the life bright size life the life story of pat metheny the other was um a thing called what is melody and we interviewed and worked with pat at his place for a few days um in new york that's when i got to play with him and record some duets for the radio show um but the first day we arrived we were going to do that first we were going to play together and 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 um and record some some musical examples for the radio show and he said uh oh you know I, I didn't warm up this morning um and so Richard and I were like oh well no problem you know take take 10 minutes take 15 minutes you know do do what you got to do we don't mind waiting and he said no 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 you, you don't understand I didn't warm up this morning and we're like uh okay and he said I'm gonna need like two hours and we both look kind of shocked and he's like yeah you know it doesn't matter if I'm you know going on stage at the Royal Albert Hall to play a show with the Pat Metheny group or if I'm going to my kid's school to play, you know, Mary Had a Little Lamb, which he had done like the day before or two days before he told us a story of going to his kid's school to literally play like a nursery rhyme on an acoustic guitar and he said he warmed up for two hours before he went down to do that. So if ever there was somebody to check out their warm-up routine and how rigorous they are and how, at the end of the day, how consistent a musician like Pat Metheny is when they go out on stage and play. It's unbelievable how dialed in that guy is every single night. You know, I mean, I've, I, I can't, I don't know, it's got to be a dozen or maybe, it's probably more than that. It's got to be like two dozen shows at least I've seen of Pat and it's never been a bad night. You know, and the amount of bootlegs I've checked out, which goes into the hundreds. Um, you know, he's so consistent. So it's worth checking checking that thing out, Pat Metheny Seminary. I'll play you a little bit more of this. It's kind of medium tempo.
not talking about anything that harmonically complex here. Major scales, intervals of thirds, arpeggios, simple stuff, but great sound, great feel. And this is a video I actually get to see, you know, the the mannerisms, the posture. It doesn't seem like there's any tension in his playing. I'm, I'm fascinated about uh, by, by that stuff and by those things. Um, diatonic arpeggios walking down the major scale simple stuff really quite simple stuff and you know you don't have to get into craziness right off the bat as pat doesn't and this is like he's in a clinic like he's <laughs> the clinic has started but there will be no questions for seven and a half minutes while he does that and you know, if this is in the middle of the day, the likelihood is that he's already been up in the morning and warmed up and practiced for an hour or so. And I know that he shows up at the gig an hour before everyone else and plays, and you know, on his own in the room. I've heard this from multiple people who have toured with him extensively. And um, I, I'm guessing he's on the extreme end of that, on the maintenance and the practicing and the warm-up and the consistency, as, as was Coltrane, you know. There are stories of John Coltrane showing up it might even have, was it to Wayne Shorter's house for dinner? Is this the story? I might have this one wrong, but there are definitely stories with this kind of sentiment. It's like shows up for dinner as a guest, brings his horn. Uh, dinner is not ready. Dinner won't be ready for 25 minutes. So he's like, all right, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to practice. So he does, you know. I, I remember when we, when we recorded Mystery to Me, my first, uh, my first released album back in 2004, whenever it was, um, Mark Turner was the saxophone player on the record. And he was living up in Connecticut at the time. We were um, recording in, in New York City in Manhattan. And not only was he the first one at the studio, I mean, like, I, you know, we were slated to be there at 11. I think he was there at 9.30, sitting outside the studio, waiting to go in. You know, I showed up with Jojo and the drums, like the quote-unquote early guys that need to be there to set up large amounts of crap. Mark was there, went straight in the back, started practicing. Practiced from 9.30 until noon when we hit, when we did the record. And we recorded that one, you know, live in one take. So it was literally an hour or so. And then it was maybe one o'clock and then maybe he had a train at 3.30 going back to Connecticut. I think he lived in New Haven at the time. He was taking the Amtrak back up. And his train was, you know, two and a half hours or two hours away or something so he went straight in the back and started practicing again and I, I remember i remember that day talking to john ellis about that because john ellis was also on the on the record day and um getting into those coltrane stories and about people who are really serious about practicing and about consistency of time and sound and, and what it is to kind of dedicate yourself to the instrument so there are extremes like that there are extremes in the other direction of people who never practice um fascinating to me to figure out where where I fit in on that scale on that spectrum maybe that's something you might not have thought about before and uh, and you want to give some thought to as to you know as to where you fit in to that as well um, I have more questions coming in from what what is this <laughs> I have some unanswerable questions um all right, well, Justin asks, when did the rose-colored glasses come off about 
the music business and how do you remain positive and relevant throughout the changes that have taken place in the industry? How do you remain positive and relevant? Well, relevant, I don't know, positive to me is, I guess positive and relevant to me are two kind of easy ones because that's, I only have myself, like by taking full responsibility for myself, I only have myself to answer, uh, answer to. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't need the, I don't need the approval of others to be to be relevant or to be positive because I think I, I create both of those things for myself as much as I can. Um, but uh, not saying that's easy at all. Sometimes it's like super difficult, but I think just by having that as the outlook, having that as the starting point, rather than needing like, oh, I must have a million followers on Instagram or, you know, in order to stay positive and to feed my ego, or this video must get this certain amount of likes, or I must sell a certain amount of albums or play a certain amount of tour dates a year. I'm fine like not playing any shows during the year. That's fine. And I can still stay positive. I'm also fine playing 100 shows or 200 shows or whatever. Maybe not 200 shows. That's a lot of shows. But I hope you understand where I'm going with that. I mean, and the rose-colored glasses, I don't know. I got kind of a little bit dark about that and um, started to talk a little bit about that in the last podcast, how there is a ton of bullshit going on. And I think that's the, that, that's the key, right? I've, I've maybe answered my own question there like when Justin poses like how do you stay how do you remain positive and relevant okay I say that I remain positive and relevant by creating my own scene and by having to answer only to myself musically speaking and I think the negativity comes in when you start to include other entities in that when you include um perhaps and I'm not saying this is for me I'm just giving a ton of examples of what it possibly could be like for me for instance it's not a record label I don't have a record label but that could be one of the things once you introduce that into your life into music into your career that could be detrimental on a lot of levels to your you know positivity and to your relevance because it's very rare I think that the artist and the label have the same vision you know and it's very rare that the relationship is fair financially so right away i think as soon as you 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 sign with a label or you give up the rights to a large percentage of your music in return for the promise for the most part of something good you're really setting yourself up, I think, for a lot of disappointment because most of the time the promise is just, it's a false promise. And even if the label means it when they say it or the entity that you're dealing with means it when they say it, and this could be anything. This could be a gear company, record label, management, a booking agent. It could be any of those things that we have to um, deal with as musicians or artists. I think as soon as you get involved in in those pursuits, you set yourself up for quite a bit of disappointment um, and some negativity there. So I think I've stayed positive because I haven't got involved so much 
Definitely not with record labels. Um, I've never had a manager, never had a booking agent. I've always done all of that stuff myself. That's not to say that I don't kind of, uh, that I don't want that sometimes, especially when I'm in the middle of booking a tour and I just, like, I don't want to send another 400 emails to make one gig in in Romania happen, you know, with a massive language barrier and, you know, no on-the-ground knowledge of some small town in the countryside, you know, like, just all of those things that you're, like, smacking your head against your desk when you're in the middle of. It would be nice to have somebody taking care of that. But at the same time, for all, you know, whenever I have, you know, momentarily moved into that situation or trusted someone else I I think I'm trying to think of a positive outcome I don't think there has been one for me for the most part I've been like why the fuck did I bother you know (laughs) like I should have done the work myself it would have been quicker it would have been more efficient and it wouldn't have cost me anything so um yeah I think it's just that thing of like of trust and being able to trust someone else to do that thing oh that's a tough one that's a really tough one it's not something i've been able to do at all in my career and as a result i'm way happier i think you know because i don't don't get me wrong i tried in the early days i wanted to get a record deal i wanted to have a manager and a booking agent a lawyer and all of those things all of those kind of typical um typical team members for any kind of artist or musician I also wanted to be a sideman and and tour with you know whoever Mariah Carey or whoever the big pop artist was of the day I had aspirations to do that when I was you know 20 years old um and ended up doing some of it but quickly realizing and I think the sideman touring thing was the thing that made me realize the overall picture even for my my band leader stuff, for my solo artist stuff, was that as soon as you work with someone else and and you you put someone else in a position of power in your career, you are dependent ever such a lot on them. And you're sitting around waiting on somebody else's schedule for the most part. And some people are fine with that. Some people are totally cool and uh, can just sit back and not be so involved I'm very proactive and I I hate bullshit I like to get to the point and say hey is this gig happening is this gig not happening what's the money that's good Uh, we need this 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 and this can you do it yes or no and being very kind of cut and dried I like that I don't like extensive negotiations I don't like if buts and maybes and unfortunately the music business runs on a lot of if buts and maybes so there are a lot of things that I immediately just say no to so when I look back over the last, how long have I, I've been doing, I've been doing band leader dates since 2008. So for the, when I look back on the last decade of being a band leader and traveling all over the world, I can say for sure I could have done twice as many gigs probably, at least, if I'd have said yes uh, more than I'd said no. There were definitely like way more gigs out there than I took. But at the same time, I can look back with absolute certainty and say, had I taken all of those gigs and agreed to all of the bullshit that was involved in in making them happen, uh, my level of happiness would have been 
in the toilet. <laughs> Basically, it would have been way lower than it is now. And I would probably be less motivated to go to move forwards and do more of that. And, and right now, I feel pretty good. I feel like, you know, 2019, um, aside from whatever I'll be doing with Bob, Bobby's band uh, in Europe and a couple of other things, little things as sideman uh, touring stuff, I feel pretty pretty excited to go book book my own stuff still and to make a new album with with a band and to go and do some band leader dates and that might be 25 30 maybe 40 dates tops for the whole year um but i feel psyched about that and i think that's how i keep the positivity keep it small keep it focused keep it happy work with people i want to work with don't take any shit from anyone and like scaling down the thing like i'm not a pat Matheny, for instance who gladly tours like 200 dates a year easy and he's been doing that since like the mid 70s and and that's his thing um and there are people who tour a lot like richard bona victor wooten i know does a lot of dates and obviously we're talking about people who are number one far more successful and do have the infrastructure to tour uh, at that volume um i do not so it's not, I can't say that, oh yeah, well, the reason I'm not doing that is that it's just because I choose to. No, 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 no. Absolutely, the people I just mentioned are um, far more successful at doing it. They're all, but they're, they're also very good examples of people who do tour a lot and we do a similar thing, I would say, in terms of being band leaders. Um, but in order, you know, I just have to be realistic about where I am. I think we all have to do that. And if you have the infrastructure and you're great with being on the road for 200 to 250 days a year, then great, go do it. But if you don't have the infrastructure, like I don't, like I know a lot of us don't, then being realistic about the goal and about what it is you're capable of and what it is that makes you happy, most importantly, the better. You know, like look at the 25, 30 dates. You know, 15 years ago, that was a month for me. I'd be on the road and I'd play 25 dates in a month. Easy. You know? And now I'm talking about 25 dates in a year. Spread out over a year. So yeah, I'm definitely realistic about it. And also, given you know, if I was presented with uh, 200 dates as a band leader a year, I don't think I would want to do it. That's a lot of work. That's being gone a lot of the time. If you're playing 200 shows, you've gone at least 250 days. That's <laughs> it's a large chunk of the year. Um, so yeah, staying positive and being relevant through the changes in the music industry. Thank you for that, Justin. I think those are a lot of the things I do. And the relevant, I don't know what's relevant. Who cares? I think I would say to that, what's relevant? What's relevant is how happy... I am making music, and if other people are on board for that, if the coffee drinker fraternity is with me, that is fantastic. And if you're not, you, I know you're going to be very honest and either just say, I don't like that, or you'll unsubscribe or unfollow, and you'll go on your merry way, and that's, that's great. So I think being relevant is kind of based on not getting too tied up in the numbers and the statistics and the instant gratification thing that exists in today's social media climate that didn't you know that totally didn't exist 20 years ago so 
It's a good question. Now they've now, of course, it's <laughs> these two degenerates of uh, they've they've taken out our little group chat down the rabbit hole, and there's no way. Wow, there's some things I can't even read out loud. Justin's using words I don't even understand. This is not very helpful, guys. Um, yeah, it's amazing, right? Yeah, there was some <laughs> there was some funny comments about the last podcast. I did literally laugh out loud at a couple of them. Somebody suggested that I might have been mad that I was up for a big gig and didn't get it or something. Holy, I'm, let's, let's just throw this out there right now. I'm not up for any big gigs. So there's no getting mad about that or being upset that I didn't get it because I'm just not up for them in the first place. It's, I'm not on some list. I'm not on, you know, Ricky Minor or Barry Squire's Rolodex for the next, you know, Destiny's Child tour or something like that. It's just not, I'm, I do not, <laughs> I don't orbit uh, around those planets, let's say, let's say that. I'm just, and never have been in that discussion so no it's that what i was mad about was was business stuff was some of the stuff we've been talking about today you know that that you know especially with companies you know there's that i haven't really talked you know publicly that much about about the federa thing um but there were things that there that were just really not right and I had to make make a really quite a painful, but uh, a very I don't know a very big change after sixteen years or seventeen I don't know a long time that I've been playing those instruments and just kind of look at you look at a situation in uh, in disbelief at least that's what I did for for the most part and just things that happened behind the scenes that I was not not happy with at all and at the end of the day it was that whole thing about like staying positive and wanting to stay positive and not wanting to get into some long drawn out process of well I don't like this and you don't like that and blah blah blah. you know just getting right to the point cutting out the bullshit getting right to the point of of happiness and of course there are like some personal relationship regrets there you know because I love Joey and Vinny and and Laura and some of the people I've been around at that company for, you know, since since I first stepped foot inside the factory in Brooklyn, but just other things going on in the company now that I didn't agree with and uh, felt it was time to cut ties. And that happens, you know, that, again, that's like difference of opinion and different people want different things. It's at the end of the day, nobody's fault. Um, you just... You just have to make the decision that makes you happiest. And that's what I did there, you know. And it's very, very, very different with, with, with Matheson. And it's a lot smaller in terms of the infrastructure. And it's, um, it's very personal. And I've actually had, you know, as you guys, if you follow the vlog and just follow me in general, I've, I've had a lot of time to go to Sweden and spend time with Anders with these instruments really figuring out what it is and sitting there and having discussions for hours and sending things back and forth and it being kind of an open, very open communication and having a, having a common goal of what we wanted to do with these instruments. I've, I'm not, when I make a decision to go with a company, it is, 
it's it's musical it's it's purely musical that's the you know first and foremost in the in the front of my mind is like okay is it does this product does this thing help what i'm trying to do does it help my cause in in terms of my music that's the first first and foremost and then and then having that common goal like i'm not in it for the money <laughs> you got to be nuts to make signature instruments just for the money like it's that's I'm, I would need to sell, you know, thousands and th- we as a, you know, Anders and myself would need to sell thousands and thousands of instruments every year for it to be any sort of income. So full disclosure, of course, I make some sort of a percentage on the sale of an instrument. But in terms of that being a viable source of income for me, it's not about that at all. So, um, yeah, I've never done any kind of deal for financial reasons. I'm not the kind of guy also, you know, like I'm not like a Marcus Miller or a Pino Palladino or some, I don't know, Eric Clapton or Eric Johnson or let's do, you know, let's get really, really big, you know, of those, those the Joe Satriani, Steve Vai type people. I'm not the kind of musician who is that much in the public eye that I'll get like a signing bonus, you know, for switching to a company and then get a guaranteed amount of money every year for using that product. No, not at all. So, number one, I probably, I know I'll never be that person. So, that's something I never have to think about. I never have to think about the financial aspect of making a deal with, with a gear company. So, it's, that, that's actually kind of cool. You know, that's a whole set of, uh, set of problems that are just off the table for me that I don't have to think about. So, it goes right back to music first, you know. And, the, you know, and especially with someone like Anders, the personal relationship is, is, is key as well um so yeah that was that was what i was bummed out about on multiple levels you know not just federa with the basis but other stuff that's going on behind the scenes you know um and it's not it's just not cool to talk about that that shit in public um and and call people out on stuff i would never want to do that that's very much a private thing but the concept of it and what you as a musician may have to deal with at some point in your career that's why i want to put that out there and just make sure you're aware of of possible options you know tell you how i approach it you know give as much advice as i can from a from an experience standpoint you know from the standpoint of you know, I'm. You know, the way I'm coming at it is, I'm an artist, and I've had this career, and as a result of that, that's why I have a relationship with these companies. I don't have a relationship with any of these companies because of uh, the amount of YouTube subscribers I have, or Instagram followers, or or whatever else. This is based in the reality of the music business, not the. Not the fluff, not the bullshit, not the numbers and the statistics of social media. So I can give you experience. I can give you, you know, information and advice from that standpoint, just to clarify that's where I'm coming from. You know, I don't have a million followers on YouTube, you know, for people just to throw gear at me and hope that I put it in a video. That's, it's definitely more of a personal thing based on the career that I've had, so... And of course, everyone's different. I'm not saying that's, you know, not a thing. That's absolutely a thing. That's why there's the term influencer now on on social media. And that's 
a total necessity uh, for a lot of companies to get involved with in order to to sell their products. So I un- I totally understand that. That's just you know that's just not not me, not where I'm coming at it from. So hopefully that's a little bit more specific than I was last time, and kind of put it, there were some really funny comments. Thank you. I appreciate you guys making me laugh. Even though, even though I know some of the people leaving the comments were not leaving them to be funny. Um, they were really serious, the tone and everything. But that made it, that made it even more funny to me. Um. maybe i'll play a little bit more music and my hands are actually a little warmer now than they were at the beginning of the podcast um i should really have okay so uh, if you haven't already, uh, go out and check out Seth Godin's podcast, Akimbo, A-K-I-M-B-O, on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Such a great podcast. There was his latest episode. Uh, we're at the end of November right now. What are we, the 29th of November 2018 right now? His latest episode at this point in time was all about school and about going to school. And j- just go listen to it. I'm going to process the thoughts a little bit more because I, I have a bunch of stuff I, I fear being home educated and then being homeschooled and then going to you know music school for a little while and the experience I've had I definitely have some thoughts on that I want to talk about it in the podcast but if you if you don't follow Seth I highly recommend it his podcast has a lot of great stuff to stuff to say and um, I'll talk a little bit about that but one of the cool things he has is uh, some sort of I don't know forum or question form or something on his website so I think I'm going to try and set that up so there's a specific place I can direct you guys to if you have a question for the podcast. He does this thing where he does a little uh, segment, 10 minutes at the end of each episode, where he answers questions from the previous episode. So maybe that would be cool. It'd be nice to get a feedback loop going here and a, a sense of communication. I cannot believe the position my cat is in right now. That is, How do you do that? God, I wish I was that flexible. Okay. Um, on that note, yeah, let's let's try and do that. Maybe I'll try and set that up on my website. Then I could, at this moment in the podcast, direct you guys to a link. Guys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, coffee drinkers, to a link to leave me a question that I could get to. But, um, yeah, this is a good thing to go on the to-do list. And I'm going to play a little bit of music, and I will see you guys, girls. Ladies, gentlemen, coffee drinkers, on the next episode.